move going deep speed race. He's got Hill. He's got Hill. From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. He's got it. Miami is in the playoffs. up Dolphins and welcome to the drive time podcast i am your host travis wingfield and on today's show it's part three of the exit interview series we're going back to the running back room after doing the quarterbacks and receivers already all the eligibles except tight ends will be done this week plus we have some big news as vic fangio has moved on we'll talk about that and the running backs and picked the championship round games in the NFL from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So the news came out on Wednesday afternoon, like 30 minutes after my podcast published. Uh, not great that I didn't have a chance to talk about Vic Fangio on that podcast, but now today we can. And we'll go ahead and do that here in our first segment, talk about some potential hirings that I think could be good fits here as we go ahead. But first, And so we start with the news that the Dolphins and defensive coordinator Vic Fangio have mutually agreed to part ways following the 2023 season. We had a statement from head coach Mike McDaniel who said this, quote, I want to thank Vic for his contributions in 2023. When we assessed the season, it became apparent that this was the best path forward for all parties involved. Now we turn our focus to 2024 and beyond with urgency as we identify the best candidate to lead our defense moving forward. We remain steadfastly committed to development of our players and to building a winning team with sustained success. A common theme there from what we heard from Coach Ross, or Coach Ross, Mr. Ross, the owner of the football team, going back several years now. So this team wants to... I think that last line there is kind of a critical part to what the next steps are for the Dolphins on the defensive side of the football because all year long, we saw... And we talked about the snap count portions of the podcast, right? The All-22 Review podcast, where not many guys played a lot of football this year outside of injuries. It was almost one of those older school defenses where if you're the D-end and you're starting the game, you're playing most of the snaps, like Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer and Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips and, you know, Andrew Van Ginkle at a certain point. Those guys that are in more... I don't want to say rotational roles, but positions where there's fewer than 100% of the workload on most teams, those guys played a whole bunch of snaps and more than the average player at their position in the National Football League. Now, you're going to have your safeties and corners and, and your middle linebackers that don't leave the field for the most part by design. That's most defenses in the NFL. But I think that where the Dolphins could stand to benefit from moving on in, in terms of more evaluation, I think seeing someone, and this is my my personal feelings, uh, watching training camp, I thought that Cam Smith looked really good. I loved his tape. I, I thought the, the person was the right kind of person that we've, you know, cultivated in terms of the culture this team wants in the locker room and the way he has that competitive fire. And he seemed to really click with Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard and Javon Holland and all the leaders in that defensive backfield. I thought we could stand to see more Cam Smith, who I, I think was one of the better cornerbacks on the football team, just going based off of training camp and what we saw in those practices. Maybe maybe more Channing Tindall, a chance to get a look at a guy that is now going to be entering his third year in the NFL and doesn't have a lot of reps to go off of after a college career where he only played 400-some snaps on the defensive side of the football. So I think that's one potential upshot of moving past 
uh, or I should say getting to a, a new defensive philosophy and a new defensive scheme, a new defensive coordinator is the opportunity to maybe get some of those younger guys some more snaps because at the end of the day, the ability to sustain winning and success requires you to fulfill a pipeline of young players and young talent. You have to have production on those rookie contracts, right? You have to have those to balance out. We talked about on the podcast the last couple of off seasons, having Tyreek Hill, one of the top paid receivers, along with one of the most productive young receivers and Jalen Waddle, and how those contracts marry up together to give you ultimate balance in that room. You have to find that across your football team. And I think that Cam Smith in 2024 is a potential guy that could be your cheaper offset to a Jalen Ramsey, for instance, or whatever the case may be. But just kind of thinking about getting more reps for the younger guys. I also think about how the benefit of seeing two vastly different schemes side-by-side, year-by-year with the majority of the same personnel could provide a benefit for the Dolphins as they embark on this new search, or the search, I should say, for a new defensive coordinator because we saw, look, cover zero, blitz, jailbreak blitz, send the house, twists and games up front until until you can't, you know, read games anymore and just relentlessly put pressure on opposing quarterbacks, except for in the games where they would play off and play more conservative, right, which is a good mixed approach there and then this year we get a lot more zone a lot more you know zone turn in the defensive backfield you have eyes on the quarterback you're playing a lot more off coverage we saw just four percent this year press coverage from the Dolphins perimeter cornerbacks Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard I think press with their length and their physicality and their competitiveness I think those are maybe among their best traits as cornerbacks so maybe there's a little bit more Variance, more hybrid action in terms of let's play some more press this game, more off next game, and mix match and find the happy medium there. So that's kind of my thoughts with regards to how this can be a benefit for the Miami Dolphins. I think losing experience like Vic Fangio is obviously difficult to overcome. We know the the, the experience and the resume that he brought to Miami, and this defense began to really click in the second half of the season and ultimately performed really above board with all the injuries they accrued over the final couple weeks of the season, right? Like once the Ravens game happened and we lost Chubb and we were already down Phillips, Holland's been out in and out of the lineup for, you know, several weeks. You lose Van Ginkle, like it's tough. A lot of guys to replace there. So I think that their ability to click and and get it right in the scheme was beneficial down the stretch. But where I I look at that as an opportunity is Now you have an opportunity if you're a Dolphins decision maker, Mike McDaniel, Chris Greer, or anybody else that is part of this process, is that you can say, well, if we do want to go towards a Sean Desai, who was relieved of his duties in Philadelphia, or if we want to go after an Ejiro Evero, who was, I believe, let go from Carolina as well, those are guys that came up and learned under Vic Fangio, and they know the scheme, and they know the rules of the scheme. And potentially, if you liked that look and makeup, you can go towards those guys. Maybe there's a little bit more relation to the players with a younger coach and it's more maybe in the McDaniel frame of mind of positive reinforcement and just a fresher voice in the building and in the room and I I think that's something that the you know the players came out on social and they they asserted their opinions of this decision and this move and maybe that's an opportunity to connect with those guys a little bit better in that regard and I, I should have mentioned Brandon Staley is a name, too, that was let go from the Chargers this year as a guy that has run the system under Vic Fangio. So you have the opportunity, if you want to keep this, the, the bones and the structure of the scheme in place, it's there for you. Or if you think you should be more aggressive and go back to more of you know the, the Josh Boyer-style defense, maybe you can look at guys in that 
type of system and hire someone that way to go back to that form. Maybe it's a hybrid of both, a guy like Coach Campanelli who coached both of those types of systems here in Miami. So I think that the Dolphins uh, would be – have an opportunity here to take their time to fully vet this process and now kind of have a a general broad range evaluation they can go ahead and put forth and to find the next DC here. And it's going to be a big hire for coach McDaniel because it's going to be his third DC in three years. You know, he landed the big fish last year in Vic Fangio. It didn't work out. Sometimes that happens, but if he can continue to build good coaching staffs here, which I think has been one of his strengths, you know, Frank Smith got head coaching interviews, right? Eric Sudisville's a stud, and he stayed here, you know, through that coaching changeover, and has been a hit on the on the coaching staff. I mean, we saw the hard knocks behind the scenes there with Raheem Mostert and that special bond that they share. Bringing over John Embry and Wes Welker, two awesome hires. Butch Berry, what he did this year, great hire. Retaining Austin Clark and Coach Campanelli, Sam Madison coming in. Like these are all awesome hires and retentions that he put on his staff. You have to feel good about his ability to find another one on the defensive side of the football, and maybe there's a little bit more of a gelling process and kind of more cohesion in terms of this is the culture, this is how we're going to talk to guys. That's kind of my thoughts on the whole thing. I think it's it stinks to not have the continuity. I was looking forward to that, but I think there's always opportunity to find the next coach, the next opportunity, the next uh, big thing. So. Here's to that hopefully happening here, and I'm a fan of the idea of Coach Campanelli and maybe what he could do to kind of mix those two things together, but ultimately, but I also think that my preferred choice would have to be Wink Martindale. I think that his aggressive nature would pair well with this personnel we have and the Dolphins' offensive philosophy as well. So that's kind of my thoughts on the entire thing. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there, come back on the other side, and review the running backs for the 2023 season. Raheem Mostert, Alec Ingold, Devon Achan, Chris Brooks, Jeff Wilson, and Savon Ahmed. All that next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have know to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Segment two on a Friday, on a championship weekend Friday, a game that I thought we would be playing in uh, for most of the year, probably up until going into the KC game, I felt Miami was going to be playing this weekend against Baltimore. Didn't happen that way, as you guys know. Uh, Disappointing end of the season with three straight losses against three of the best teams in the conference. And that's going to be kind of what we have to choke on all offseason, in addition to the coaching change at D.C., and I'm sure plenty of other not fun stuff. But we'll pick those games here in the third segment. But first, before that, let's go ahead and crack open part three 
of our nine-part series examining each position group on the team, what they have, what they might need, where things can get better. And we go to the running back spot here on this podcast. And this is one of the more interesting groups on the team, I think, going into the offseason because I think you could make a case to do nothing at the position. I think you could make a case to remake at least half of the room, if not more than that. And I think there is also a lot of consternation over what is and isn't really reality with regards to the run game. For instance, the whole blanket idea of run the ball more is actually not a good strategy, right? And that shouldn't be a surprise to listeners of this podcast because we never just put a wide net out there and call it good with that coverage, right? We sift through the hall and figure out the analytics behind it, so to speak, the why behind it. And the Dolphins had the highest early down pass rate, which is the best time to throw the football when teams are in base defense and expect you to run the football. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Play action against base defense is always the most effective time to toss the rock. And we have these drive starters that kickstart things almost every damn time we touch the football. It's so nice to be able to reset your starting line from the 25-yard line up to near midfield, which seems like that was the case so frequently with those 18-yard digs and those glance throws and those 20-yard comebacks or curls deep in the hook zone. The Dolphins had the highest early down passing rate for the first part of the season, but I will say, though, we reverted off that model down the stretch. We ran the ball at one of the highest rates on expected running downs in the month of December, which coincided with our defense, or rather our offense, becoming not really that functional. However, one spot we should have ran more was short yardage, right? And look, I'm I'm very... <clears throat> I like going for fourth downs. I will always advocate the two-point conversion when you're down by 14 on your first touchdown because you need two touchdowns to win the game. And if you're going to go for the win, go for it first so you can make up for it if you don't get it. And you can also win the football game in regulation if you get it the first time around. So that's I'm, I'm on that team. I'm also on hunt for explosives when you can get them, which is third and short, right? That's where you're probably your best opportunity for an explosive play, for man coverage, for one-on-one to get vertical shots. We see this offense all the time on those positions. Take deep shots. We saw a fourth and five against the Baltimore Ravens converted onto a long pass to Tyreek Hill, and that was with four minutes to play in the half. And I just mentioned that game earlier. If Miami converts that drive into the end zone, they have a first half lead against the Baltimore Ravens because of a deep shot from two at the Tyreek over the shoulder in the bucket on the sideline on fourth and five in just barely plus territory. But I mentioned in the first down passing portion and I saw a tweet that we were 13 of 15 on third down runs I have no clue where that number came from because it's way off because if you're 13 for 15 I I agree run it every time get the first down what is that what do you extrapolate 15 to uh it's like it's like 90 percent right that's a guess but it feels like it's 90 percent They were actually 10 for 18 on third and short rushing attempts converting. We were actually 12 of 32 in total running the football on third down. When you're on the ball on third and 10 plus, you're giving up, right? It's a give up play. When we threw on third and short, we were 24 for 40. It's a high, much higher percentage. I think it was 60% running success 
Offensively, it's like 70%. And it's also 9.9. I should probably do the math. Let's do the math on that real quick. Live math on the show. 10 divided by 18. That is 56%. 24 for 40 is 60%. So it's not that much more, but this is 9.9 yards per play when we put it up in the air compared to 3.6 yards. Which one would you prefer? Now, here's where I think the run game element is lacking, and the great Kyle Krabs put this uh, research data together. You guys know him, Locked On Dolphins, grinding the tape. Go support his work. So Miami faced middle-of-the-field open coverage shells on 60% of their offensive snaps this past season, the highest in the National Football League by 4%. That figure was 67% from the Tennessee game onward, but production against man coverage fell off the face of the earth. Fantasy Points Data Suite, Kyle gave you this, calculates offensive production via fantasy points scored per snap versus man and zone coverage. Miami's week 14 through week 18, the final five games of the year, fantasy points database versus man coverage was 24th in the NFL, 0.39. Miami was first in the NFL, 23 places higher, in weeks 1 through 13 versus that same coverage at 0.93, more than double, almost triple, the production one high and two high splits fell off approximately 40% each passer rating in the 10 to 19 yard range. The intermediate range that we absolutely own. It fell 40 points in weeks 14 through 18 on 20 plus air yard throws. It fell 30 points. Our intermediate vertical passing game became not, and we became not in functional offense. As a result, the running game in this stretch faced a stuff percentage of 45%, an increase of about 30%, from weeks one through five. So they only had about 15%, the f- weeks one through f- one through 13, I should say. So the final five games, a fit 30% increase from 15 to 45 in getting stuffed in the running game, which is usually a two yards or less run. So I think we need a better changeup, right? It's kind of a foundational issue. Miami's going to have to find a way to correct, and I think the way you do it is through a better power running game. We'll get to that here on the backside of the segment, and maybe we have that on the roster, which is what we'll get to on the final player here. So running backs in general, what a productive room this was. Did you guys know that only 18 teams in the Super Bowl era have scored 27 or more touchdowns on the ground in a season? Of course you do, because I talked about it on the quarterback podcast telling you that touchdown passes is not the end-all be-all because if you can run the ball into the end zone, that's pretty cool too. We had a 1,000-yard rusher in an offense with 2,000-yard receivers. He was first in touchdowns. He was 10th in rushing, Raheem Mostert was. And Devon Achan was 26th in rushing despite just 103 carries and 11 games played. And he only started four of those games. Basically, Achan and Jameer Gibbs were the two real game changers at the position in this year's class. And of course, Gibbs, a top, was a 12 pick, while Achan comes in in the third round. Not a bad hit there for a draft class that only had four picks. Let's go ahead and get into the individuals here, beginning with the player who had the most snaps in the backfield, Raheem Mostert. When we signed him, I knew about Raheem's speed. I was not aware of his pure physical prowess. I mean, he's a big dude. You can see it when you talk to him. And he leans on guys and finishes runs as well as anybody. Linear yardage accumulation, right? Coach McDaniel's term that he he coined for Raheem Mostert. Just the perfect back last year for what we did with the wide zone, the mix of inside zone, some duo in there, where he can stretch, then bounce, bang, and bend, whatever he sees fit with his vision, sticks the foot in the ground, gets north and south with a good pad level that can shift and make guys tackle half the man, where that's why he had such productive production 
after initial contact because guys just don't square him up because of the shiftiness, the vision, and the anticipation that he shows for the position. Two years with the Dolphins, and he by far eclipsed his six-year total of production in San Francisco. He had 390 carries in two years with us, 1,903 rushing yards, 21 touchdowns, 18 of those this year. He has 103 first downs, and he had a 55% success rate this season. That was sixth in the NFL among running backs, and uh, or rather among the entire league, fourth among running backs. Aaron Jones, Kyron Williams, and James Cook topped him in that category, but he had a better yards per carry than two of those guys, sans Kyron Williams. He was 4.8. Williams was, was 5.0 flat. So 209 carries, 1,012 rushing yards, 18 TDs at a 4.8 yards clip. PFF had him with 728 yards after initial contact at an average of 3.35 yards per rush. That came on 53 missed tackles forced, 30 runs of plus 10, and 61 first downs. He also gave us 26 catches on 31 targets for a buck 72 and two more visits to pay dirt. Check that, three visits to pay dirt. Here's a fun fact for you. Raheem's 3.35 yards after initial contact on average was fourth among backs who had 200 or more attempts. If you take away the qualifiers, we had three guys in the top 17 because Chris Brooks was number two at 5.63, and Devon Achan was fourth at 4.94. They, of course, had 19 and 108 attempts. So if you make the threshold 100 rushes, Heem was still seventh. A great year, right? No way to shake it besides that. And I think what was most impressive was just how he handled the whole year. We were attached to every single running back thought to be available, right, from Jonathan Taylor to Jonathan Taylor again, and he faced those questions every single time and answered them with professionalism and courtesy. And that's no fault of his own or even the team, but he answered those questions and then went out and balled every single week. I just could not respect Raheem Mostert more than I do as a man, a father, a football player. He's the kind of person that you want in your building 53 times over. And quite frankly, I hate this cliche, but he's like a hope my daughter marries a person like that type of uh, person. The yards after contact were 12th overall. He was fourth in 10-plus yard runs, your boy's favorite stat for a running back, always looking for explosive plays. And he was also fourth in runs of 15-plus yards. Great year and his first Pro Bowl. Congratulations to Raheem Mostert for doing that. Number 30, Raheem's buddy. Also a first-time Pro Bowler in the same year. I've promoted this piece several times here on the show, the Damn Pump High article back from, like, when was that? I know Jordan Rodriguez was here when it came out. So like early December, maybe. But they talked about their journey together going from rehab, their first year here together, coming off an ACL for Ingold and a, a different injury for Raheem. I think it was a, a knee, but not an ACL. And the tribulations of being on those trainers tables and the rehab work and not being able to be out of practice with your teammates and the bond they formed. And it's kind of it blossomed into what it is today. Go check it out if you have not seen that yet. The variety this offense has would not exist without the presence of Alec Ingold. If you haven't seen our YouTube breakdown, our, our tape review of Alec Ingold, rectify that. Go check it out. In that piece, I show you how Alec's flexibility, you know, catching a now throw on the back hip off exit motion to the rail seam combo and doing a 180 pirouette and turning that catch into a big run after the catch without breaking stride. It's a 250-pound fullback, man. Like, that's freaky. Hitting a counter to lead the weak side of the formation when we're asking him to climb the second-level linebacker who's not even getting a first-level catch and climb, coming across the formation for a quick-count wham block on a turn-free nose tackle, a trap block for your fullback, or leading into the A-gap against all that traffic. He's the Kyle Juszczyk of the AFC. There's no other way to put it. 
We led the conference in 21 personnel production. That's two backs and one tight end. And that's with Ingold and a running back typically, but also two running backs with Moster A-Chan, mostly the combination there. But we get a little bit of a curveball from the typical running formations in the NFL. And as we continue this current trend where explosives are harder to come by, passing is down, points are down, longer drives are more the norm, especially against the best teams. The ability to win from these groupings, I think, will only get more important as the pendulum continues to swing that way towards the defense. No really stats here for Alec Ingold. Two rushes, no yards this year, but he did catch 13 of 16 targets for a buck 19. He's a team captain. He was rewarded this season with an in-season extension. I thought the impact of having him healthy and out of the red jersey for all of the offseason program, as well as training camp, was positively massive. And we get that again this offseason. Speaking of things, we get this offseason. Number 28, Devon Achan. How about one of the game's most electrifying pieces coming back into his second year in the offense with a clean bill of health? I mean, what can you say about this guy? If there's one thing that can be better, just overall availability, he got dinged up a lot this year, and he had to come out of games that he played in. So even the 11 games played is not really the case, kind of like our Jalen Waddle comments yesterday where he missed so many games where he actually played because he just wasn't himself and just wasn't playing the normal snap counts in those games. But man, 103 rushing attempts for 800 yards. That's 7.8 yards per carry. That's, that's better than a lot of quarterbacks YPA. He had eight rushing touchdowns, just under 8% touchdown rate, which led the league by a mile. He had 30 first downs, so just under 30%. In fact, 27.8% led the league by a mile. That type of explosiveness with the eighth best success rate at 54.4% is absurd. He also forced 30 missed tackles on those 108 rush attempts. Once again, that's 27.8%. 22 of his 108 runs went for 10-plus yards. 13 for 15-plus yards. Just one less than Raheem Mostert on half as many carries. And Raheem is one of the most productive backs in the league. It's crazy. and It's crazy. In fact, McCaffrey was the league leader with 21 runs of 15-plus yards and 46 runs of 10-plus yards. Why do backs get cut down between 10 and 15 so often? He had 289 attempts. So McCaffrey, he forced a missed tackle on 23.8% of his attempts. A-chan, 27.8%, 4% better. McCaffrey hit a 10-yard run on 16% of his runs. A-chan, 20.3%. Once again, 4% better. McCaffrey hit a 15-plus yard run on 7.3% of his runs. A-chan on 12% of his runs. A little more than 4% better. And I think there's more meat on that bone, not just in playing more games, but what he did as a pass catcher. I will never forget the day of training camp when they moved inside and Skylar Thompson leads a two-minute drive for a touchdown that came with a 40-yard pass into the corner of the end zone to end practice. And it was a bad ball off the back hip where Javon had to turn around, make an adjustment, and pluck the thing off the turf, off the back hip, spins around, makes the catch going to the ground, the place erupts. I thought he had a deep shot in the Titans game where if he just kept his full steam ahead going, he has like a 95-yard touchdown catch that he just was barely overthrown. He got some vertical ops this year that we just didn't hit, but I think that could be an area of growth in his second year. I think Devon allows you to dictate matchups. I think the way that he can create small creases and then exploit them is rare, like Chris Johnson rare. Man, the track that he winds up taking sometimes just looks like it's not there, but then all of a sudden you get on the all-22 end zone angle, and it's a perfect decision. 
If there was a pick for a superstar breakout on the team in 2024, it's got to be Devon Achan. Immensely talented, wired the right way. Remember back in October when he went on IR and his first question to McDaniel was, can I still travel the team? He's all ball, wants to be all Miami Dolphins. Probably the guy I'm most excited about this entire summer. Number 23, Jeff Wilson. He had 41 for 188. That's 4.6 per carry. Eight first downs, a 51.2% success rate. We had a good success rate running the ball this year. He also caught 14 of 17 for 85 and had three more first downs. Just four missed tackles, 2.93 after contact. I'll always remember the Cowboys game for Jeff Wilson because that final drive and him getting fired up, needing that critical third down, he's got you. And then a first down run for eight or nine that puts you right back in position to convert one more time to completely exhaust the clock. Those are game-winning type of plays there. Physical, mean runner with a temperament that just kind of has an infectious you know, impact on the locker room and also one of the best guys you'll ever meet. I remember one time, Hefe and I got kind of close after doing the uh, 100-yard interview last summer. And you guys know the Chappelle meme where not, – not Chappelle, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Scratch that because this is, this is sacrilege. But Key and Peele, which is, you know, the, the 2.0 version – not as good version, still very good, but not a good version of the Chappelle show. You know the skit where they do Obama and he's shaking hands with white folks and black folks and he winds up doing the very straightforward white person handshake and then daps up the black folks in the video or the skit. That was me and Jeff Wilson in the locker room this year when he came back. He was doing the handshakes, all the beat guys. Yes, yeah, good to see you, good to see you. And then he saw me and he was like, ooh, what up, baby? Like, that's the kind of guy Jeff is. I love him hope that wherever his football career takes him winds up being uh, perfect for him because he deserves it. He, I mean, he battled injuries all year long, came back and had that big moment on Christmas Eve. Love me some Jeff Wilson. Number 26, Savon Ahmed. Speaking of depth, remember him? I hate how it seems like injured players can become forgotten sometimes. He might be the best pass receiving option we had this year besides A-chan maybe. I don't know. Definitely a special teams ace. He had uh, 22 for 61 and a touchdown, three first downs. He caught 16 for 23, but for only 88 yards. And another score, four missed tackles, 2.82 yards after contact. I think Savon is a perfect running back four because he's scheme diverse. He has some quicks. He can catch the football and gives you 20 snaps per game in, pass per, er, in, in special teams, I should say. So Savon Ahmed, hoping the best for him as well. Number 35, Chris Brooks wraps up the room. And this is the guy that I teased earlier. I was... Really excited to talk about him and what I keep talking about with the ability to have the changeup for this offense. Now, I think Derrick Henry is, money aside, whatever it takes aside, the perfect complement to what I have been talking about. You play too high, you're going to get 25 carries downhill from Derrick Henry, and when he hits that second level at 250 pounds with 4-4 speed, you have issues to tackle him and prevent touchdowns. Now, Chris Brooks has that power, he just don't have that 4-4 speed. But damn it, I think where Henry can run teams out of it with explosiveness, I think Brooks can sort of run teams out of it in a sustained fashion. We'll see. But I, th- I like the idea of A-Chan Brooks and a third. Is it Raheem Mostert? Is it a free agent or a draft pick? I don't know. But I like the options we have in the backfield. I think Chris Brooks could be a big part of that. He's like the Ingold in the sense that he can do some lead blocking, some jet sweep, go dig out the end man on split flow action, or even go lead our toss sweep around the corner and be the first one to greet a 190-pound DB. That ain't fun for him. But then he kind of has that nastiness between the tackles as well to knock heads and short yardage. But then we also see him hit the long runs. I talked about Devon Achan's training camp moment. I'll never forget this. Back in the indoor facility, they went live for a period and had Brooks 
in a goal line run, just hammer his way across the the uh, goal line stripe for a touchdown. Like you could hear the pads popping from where we were. Then they flipped the field to the three yard line and went the other direction. And the first play, he busts a 97 yard touchdown run, wall to wall, coast to coast. Very impressive. I cannot wait to see what his plans are on this offense. I think he kind of has some Julian Hill to him in the way he blocks. But he also has some nasty running ability as well that could be utilized in what this offense really needs next year. He had 19 for 106, also nine forced missed tackles, and 5.63 yards after initial contact. My goodness. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there, come back and talk championship weekend. That's next, Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Final segment here on a Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast brings us to Championship Weekend. The Ravens hosting the Chiefs, the Niners hosting the Lions, who I still contend, damn it, that should be us as the Detroit Lions in this conference, but I digress. And we'll do the Monday recap, taking a look at these games, what you can learn from them, how they inform you about your team in the following season. One thing we learned from Divisional Round Weekend is that we will not be playing the Thursday night opener. Had Buffalo advanced, there was a chance for that to happen in Buffalo on opening night, but now we do not play Kansas City. We do not play Baltimore. We do not play Detroit. We do play the Niners, but that game is in South Florida. So we know two things. We will, no, that's not true. We know one thing. We will not be playing on opening night. If the Niners win the whole thing, you will not be playing the Niners in week one. Those are two things that you know. Speaking of these games, I have two teams I think will make these games not very eventful. I think Baltimore right now is on an absolute tear and an absolute destruction of the entire AFC and really the entire NFL that kicked off back when they, was it the Seahawks game back in like week five or something where they just took them to the woodshed and won by like 35 points. And they did the exact same thing to the Lions. They did the exact same thing to the 49ers. Did the exact same thing to us. (laughs) And then they just did the same thing to the Texans as well, even though they played a bad game overall. They beat them by, was it 21 points? The Ravens are very good. And I wanted to look this up. In fact, we're going to do it live here. Um, So we talked about how the Ravens had injury issues the last two years before this year, right? So I mentioned the injury data on the Wednesday podcast. And looking at the Ravens right here, eh, I mean, it's kind of close. Last year they had three offensive linemen essentially play every single snap, and then Kevin Zeitler played most of the snaps, but Lamar Jackson missed a third of the season, so that's kind of where they fell off. But their injuries were on defense primarily. In fact, you look at their defensive numbers, they had three guys play over 1,000 snaps, and then it was a massive drop-off to the next guys. Like Marcus Peters, their, their number one corner last year, only played – uh, two-thirds of the snaps. Marcus Williams played just over half. He was a starting safety. Matabuike and Owe played less than, or played just over 50%. Kyle Hamilton played 50%. You know, they, they just, they were banged up last year and the year before that as well, like, like 2021. 
look at the offensive injury numbers here. Yeah, it's kind of the same. So I guess defensively where they had their big injuries the last two years. But then you go to 2023, and it's just like, I mean, we talked about on the podcast, you know, f- let's see, what is this, five, four guys up over 85%, five guys over 85%. I don't know, this, this is kind of getting off the rails, but the Ravens kind of had a similar injury issues in 2021, 2022, as the Dolphins had in 2022 and 2023. And to me, the hope is maybe we get that better luck in year number three. But anyway, I think Baltimore in this game, the Chiefs have kind of found some of them on offense. Their red zone offense, I don't think has been good enough in this stretch of the season. And that's why I think Baltimore cruises to a victory in this game and gets right back into the Super Bowl. And we can start to kind of wash away some of the Lamar Jackson narratives. If he doesn't win this week, I think it'll be a big deal. He is now 2-3 and three in the postseason. This is his first conference championship game. And if he wins this one, you know, 3-3 three and three with a trip to the Super Bowl, he'll be right up there with the top quarterbacks in terms of how we view these guys. But I think Baltimore their physicality, their ability to shut things down defensively. I cannot wait to watch how they defend Patrick Mahomes. I think Baltimore cruises to victory in that one. On the other side, I think it's the same case for the home team there too. I think the Niners are a far superior team to the Detroit Lions, and they should pick up victory. Jared Goff, it's going to be the weather's going to be good, so the outdoor element of him playing on grass out of that dome, not so great. And all this love for Jared Goff in these last two games, like he's played well, don't get me wrong, but he also had like, you know, stretches of those games against really bad defenses, right? The Bucks and Rams defenses this year were terrible at home in the playoff games. You should carve those teams up. Like that's, that's I said it again, if we would have had a certain schedule for our team down here at home games in the playoffs by not blowing any of those games against Kansas City or Tennessee or even Buffalo, you would have had that, but you didn't. So um, they had that, and I think that going on the road could be a challenge against that defense, but for the quarterback at the home side, he don't play well in the bad weather either, and so that's why it's a good thing that we have good weather in this game. I'm really curious to see these quarterbacks square off in this game, but I do think that where that might be a bit of a wash, and by the way, like Jared Goff, multiple tiers ahead of Tua Tungavailoa, Mr. Solak, I love you, brother, but like your quarterback stuff, what are we doing? <laughs> that's crazy. Um, where I think this game is won is the rest of the rosters. Like the Niners are so, so good. It's just so good. Those middle linebackers are going to eat them up. Their skill player is going to eat it. That defense got, has no chance in this game. Niners big. It's Niners and Ravens in the Super Bowl, and we're sticking with the 49ers for this championship pick there. So we'll break those games down on the Monday podcast. We'll also do the offensive line on that one, so stay tuned. for, Or maybe, it, maybe it'll be tight ends, actually. Yeah, I think it'll be tight ends. The O-line will be next Wednesday. But stay tuned for all of that. We have plenty more to come your way here on the Drive Time Podcast this offseason. And one last note before I go. If you're like me, and like most people, and you think that cancer sucks, registration is open for the 14th annual Dolphins Challenge Cancer on Saturday, February 24th. Sign up to join the Miami Dolphins in this year's run, walk, or ride, and raise funds with the DCC, which donates 100% of participant raise funds for innovative cancer research at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center. Registration closes February 9th. Visit www.ridedcc.com to sign up and start donating today. Subscribe to the podcast while you're at it. Give us a rating. Give us a review wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availability, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy. Daddy.